Amen. Great thought, great job. I'm glad Jesus is enough. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Appreciate the grace and strength of God. You know, we just went through, uh, like many of you, a little bit of a round of sickness in our house. And uh, I think all of us wish that God's grace was uh, overflowing, but God doesn't promise overflowing grace. He promises sufficient grace. And so each day, there is sufficient grace from God for each one of us in the difficulties and heartaches of life to bend, but never break. Amen? By the way, if you uh, don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. will be on page 45. It's got a hard black cover. And uh, we've been working our way on Sunday mornings through a series on great truths communicated through simple words. Profound things, of course, are best understood by most of us when they are communicated with simple words. Uh, when complex things are communicated with difficult words, they are generally either misunderstood or not understood at all. And God makes sure that the things that are most important to Him are communicated us to us in simple terms. In fact, the things that are most important to God, He not only communicates them to us in simple terms, He most often repeats them for clarity and emphasis. And many months ago now, I took a list of 916 verses in our Bible that are all one-syllable words with the exception of a name or a place and prayerfully planned a series of thoughts uh, on this subject. When I spoke last Sunday morning, we talked about our plans for tomorrow. We made note of James' warning that our lives are just a vapor and that we ought not to be too presumptuous about our long-term plans, just assuming that uh, there will be no changes to our health or to our life. And so in the simplest terms, God reminded us that His will always triumphs, even our best laid plans. And so we encouraged one another to make plans and live as if we'll be here tomorrow, even though our life is just a vapor. And we also encourage one another to make plans and lift as if we will face God tomorrow and give an account of ourselves and our life, just deciding to live our life with no apology or I love you left unsaid is a great way to live, amen? This morning, we jump into a story that is familiar to Bible readers, but not one of the Bible stories with which the general public is very familiar. You know, I think sometimes those who have been in church for decades, lose sight of how little the average American, including many American Christians, know about the Bible. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we are decades removed from the Bible being a textbook in the public school, and we are increasingly becoming removed from when American Christian families sent their children to Sunday school to be taught the Bible. By the way, I don't think that's going to work out very well for most of American Christianity. A biblical ignorance and failing to do everything you can to hide God's Word in the hearts of our children, it never helped anyone. Uh, most Americans have heard of the name of Moses, even if it's just from the Charlton Heston movie and professional athletes. Uh, Moses Malone was a famous basketball player. Edwin Moses was a famous track athlete. 
Moshe Dayan was a famous military and political leader in Israel, and that's just a different language use the name Moses. Moisés Alou was a famous baseball player. In fact, you could probably name other famous men named Moses, but the most famous Moses is, of course, the Moses of the Bible. He's mentioned 768 times in the Old Testament, 80 times in the New Testament. That is especially interesting when we consider that a man like Abraham, who is a father of three major world religions, he's actually only mentioned 150 times in the Bible. So Moses is spoken about more than three times as much as Abraham. Jesus mentioned Moses 19 times. In fact, Jesus himself thought so highly of what Moses had written in Genesis through Deuteronomy from the account of the creation to Noah's flood to the Tower of Babel to the parting of the Red Sea and the giving of the law from Sinai that Jesus said, if you believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? And for those who are not Familiar with the basic story of Moses, he was born to parents who were enslaved in Egypt. Though they were enslaved and though they were poor, Amram and Jochebed, his parents, were people with great faith in Jehovah. And so in defiance of Pharaoh's order to drown all male children, Amram and Jochebed risked their lives and the lives of their two older children to spare Moses. And ultimately, they hid him in a basket of bulrushes in the Nile River. Perhaps they were hiding him from some inspection they knew was coming. Perhaps they had placed them there, prayerfully hoping that the Pharaoh's daughter, who frequented that place, would find him and take him under her protection. We don't know. Either way, it took great faith for them to be a parent to Moses. God providentially intervened and brought Pharaoh's daughter to the spot where she found baby Moses and took him under her care. And so because of that, because she was the Pharaoh's daughter, Moses, as he grew up, he had literally the best tutors, the best education, and the most opportunities that you could possibly have in a nation that was at that time the most advanced and most powerful nation on the planet. In fact, Moses, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was so successful in Egypt that Stephen described him in Acts chapter 7 as being, quote, mighty in words and deeds. Well, somewhere in the first 40 years of Moses' life, he became aware of the fact that he was a Jew rather than an Egyptian. Perhaps he learned this on his mother's lap. God providentially worked it out so that his mother was his nursemaid. Maybe he didn't learn that there, and maybe as time went on and he became more self-aware, he began to ask questions about his past. We're not told. Either way, the historical account we're about to read occurs when Moses was about 40. He was wealthy, powerful, famous. He was in a position of great authority. Anybody whether you were a Jew or an Egyptian, if you had any awareness whatsoever about what was going on around you, you knew who Moses was. Now, I'm not implying they knew he was a Jew. That's unlikely. But everyone knew he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter who was mighty in words and deeds. 
is a woman named Pamela Shelley, who died en route to the hospital in 2001. Uh, she was found with a gunshot wound to the head in Texas. Uh, she shared a home with her boyfriend after she left her husband in Arkansas to move into the home of a family friend named Ronnie Joe Hendrick. Investigators ruled that her death was a suicide. The policeman who was working on the case, Carl Bowen, never really felt right about it being ruled a suicide, so he continued to investigate the case. And 11 years later, he finally had enough evidence to bring the case to a trial. Unfortunately, when the case came to the trial, there was a television show at that time who aired this story. Now, the show was called Cold Justice. They aired this story of Pamela Shelley and said and come to the conclusion that at the angle the bullet entered her head, it was impossible to be a suicide. And so because of the timing of the show, there was a mistrial. Ronnie Joe Hendrick could have walked, but instead, he confessed. He could have gotten away, but he confessed. Say, why? You can't hide from God or your own conscience. You see, everybody can run, but no one can continue to hide from God in their conscience. If you'd stand this morning, please, in honor of the Word of God, that's the title of my thought. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you cannot hide. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. He spied an Egyptian, smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared. And he said, Surely this thing is known. And now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. I think you might be seated. As we begin to think about this story, the first thing we are going to notice is that grown men and women pay attention to more than their own burdens. Verse 11, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and he looked on their burdens. See, Moses was technically a grown-up long before reaching the age of 40. But I think everyone here understands there's a big difference in being an adult because you're old enough to be called one and being grown up. I know I'm not the only one here who has known people in their 30s and 40s and 50s who were technically adults, but they were not very grown up. They didn't care about anyone's burdens but their own. In fact, 
If you and I look around at the culture in which we have been placed, nearly everything that has changed in the last 40 or 50 years in America has aided and fueled people's irresponsibility. It has caused people to be less grown up when they reach the age of an adult than they would have been in the past. Now, we could always assume that uh, Moses should have tried to stop these abuses sooner. But sensible people understand that putting today's understanding on a historical situation is not wise. Hindsight is always 20-20. For all we know, uh, Moses didn't learn of his own Jewishness until shortly before this. For, for all we know, because of his position and the state of affairs in Egypt at the time, he was not even ever over in Goshen in the land of the slaves to see what goes on. We don't know. But by the way, you've got to give anybody credit who could remain in the ivory palace, but chooses instead to break away and look on the real day-to-day needs and circumstances of regular people. The Bible teaches us that what we see affects our heart. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. But by the way, for those of you here who feel like you wish you had a better heart for this or that, the secret to that is A, get in the Bible, B, pray, and C, put your eyes on the situation. I hope most here within the sound of my voice are mature enough to care about and notice the struggles of people other than yourself. Now Moses knew what he was about to do was wrong, but he killed the Egyptian offender and and he hid the body in verse 12. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. This time there was no written law of God, thou shalt not kill. But the high value of human life is written on the conscience of all mankind. There's a reason abortionists don't like people to publish pictures of what the aborted fetus looks like. That there is something inherent in the conscience of a human being whose conscience has not yet been seared. Something that says, uh, that's not right. There's a reason Ronnie Hendricks confessed. Even though he could have walked. See, his conscience in his case, was still working. But it isn't just that God had not yet written, thou shalt not kill. Understand the first moral law our Creator made after the worldwide flood from Genesis 9-6 says, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. By the way, if you're somebody who opposes the death penalty for first-degree murder, understand you view justice differently than our Creator views justice. I mean, why would the son of Pharaoh's daughter even care about the life of another Egyptian who was beating a slave? Why? What Egyptian court would convict him? What Egyptian prosecutor would dare bring the case against the Pharaoh's daughter's son? And that that isn't even enough. I I don't know what the ancient laws of Egypt were, but I do know this. In every society, all along, the rich and famous don't have the same justice system as the rest of us. 
But Moses knew what he was doing was wrong. We read how he looked over his shoulder to the right and then to the left to see if men were watching, but he never, you notice, looked up. God was watching. See, no man was watching except for the man Moses helped. In fact, why hide the Egyptian body in the sand? If he felt good about what he was doing, if he felt like it was his place and he was really doing justice and there was nothing wrong with what he was doing, well, why look around? Why hide the body? I'll tell you why. It's conscience. God puts one in every human being. As an unsaved adult, I took a orange-handled crescent wrench from the shop. And then I got saved, and I was so ashamed to bring it back that I kept it. And for 20 years, every time I looked at that orange-handled crescent wrench, I remembered where it came from until I threw it away because I just couldn't take it anymore. In the simplest terms, other than the name Egyptian, God made it clear that Moses had a conscience and that God was watching to record an event that Moses didn't want anyone to see and he did not want anyone to know about. Unfortunately, the man Moses helped, he didn't care about Moses' reputation. He didn't respect Moses' request to Keep this to yourself. Please don't tell anybody. That man didn't care about anyone other than himself. And so in verses 13 and 14, word spread like wildfire among the Jews about a famous Egyptian murdering an Egyptian for beating a slave. In verses 13 and 14, it says, And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And that man, he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. See, Moses had grown enough to know the Jewish slaves needed help. He'd grown enough to recognize there were some things that he could do to help. But he had not grown enough to stop taking every matter into his own hands. You see, it really wasn't his place to personally execute the Egyptian for what he was doing wrongfully to that other man. It really wasn't his place to personally settle this dispute between these two Jewish men, even though Moses was actually right about who the offender was and who was the offended. Moses did learn that what he thought he'd done in secret was exposed to the light of day. You see, Moses underestimated the falling nature of mankind and mankind's love to gossip. And mankind's love to hear gossip. That's how word spread like wildfire. There was no radio, there was no cell phone, there was no texting. It was just, did you hear what happened? He underestimated how Satan will use any opportunity he can to hurt God's people. 
By the way, Satan probably had a pretty good idea at this point that the coming deliverer God had promised was going to be Moses. Listen, it had been predicted in Genesis four centuries earlier that they would be enslaved for 400 years. Satan knows the Bible. He knew time was coming due. He knew that there was something special about a guy who was a Jew who had somehow been placed in this position of authority and given all this skill and education. And news of Moses' deed made it all the way from the slave encampment in Goshen to the palace of Egypt, verse 15. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by well. And though Moses meant well, and he tried to help in everything he had done, because he took justice into his own hands and tried to mediate a situation for which he was not responsible, he had to flee and hide in the land of Midian. You see, Moses could look around to make sure no man was looking. He could try to run from his deed, but he couldn't hide from it. Moses could bury the body of his deed in the sand, thinking no one would find it. He could try to run from his situation, but he could not hide. Moses could hope that the man he helped would keep what happened to himself. He could try to run from his deed, but he couldn't hide from it. And so in the simplest terms, other than the name Egyptian, God made it clear that Moses had a conscience and that God was watching to record an event Moses didn't want anyone to see or know. And that's verse 12. He looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Can I say to you this morning, God is still watching. Every human being still has a conscience. And all of us can try to run, but none of us can really hide. On September 20th, 2004, a woman by the name of Rebecca Gould, who was a 22-year-old college student, she answered the door at her boyfriend's house, and a man named William Alma Miller was standing outside and asked to use the phone. She let him in and went into the other room to make a phone call, and while she was in the room, William Alma Miller took a piano leg and beat her to death. Last October, so three months ago, 18 years after the crime, Miller confessed to what he had done. And there in the trial, her father, Rebecca's father, said these words to William Miller. You took her from her own future. You took away a chance for a girl to dream. A hell you have created, a hell you must face. He was sentenced to 40 years, and he chose to apologize to the family. He said if he could go back in time and change what happened, he would. He said he was sorry. He admitted that he needed to go to prison. Did you ever wonder why somebody like that, after he was finally caught, would confess, apologize, and admit he belonged in prison? I'll tell you why. God is still watching, and every human being still has a conscience. And people try to run all the time, but no one can hide. 
What I'd like to do this morning for a few moments is make some observations and applications of Moses attempting to run from his deed, but being unable to hide. Please first, if you would, go in your Bible to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Here's number one. People try to run from their conscience. Some can even hide from their conscience if it's seared. People try to run from their conscience. Some can even hide from their conscience if it's seared. Titus chapter 1 verse 15 says these words, Under the pure, all things are pure. For to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Notice about the unbelieving. It says even their mind and conscience is defiled. Notice how it describes these unbelieving whose mind and conscience are defiled. Verse 16 says they profess that they know God. By the way, before we go on, did you ever notice everybody professes to know God? Well, not everybody, most people. It says, but in works, they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work, reprobate. See, God placed a healthy conscience in every human being. And then, depending on how that soul is handled by their parents and their culture, that conscience God placed in them will either be sensitized and remain healthy, or it will become seared and defiled. If you ever wonder one of the things that's going on in America, and if you ever shake your head at some of the things that go on, understand that part of this is that there's an increasing number of children and teens and young adults who've not had their conscience properly shaped and built by parents and churches and the world around us. By the way, if you're here this morning and you have willfully rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to willfully reject Him and His gift of redemption, understand your mind and conscience are defiled right now. I'm not preaching on verse 16 today, but understand, everybody almost professes to know God. Did you notice this week? Even an organization that is grossly liberal, whose announcers by and large are outspoken liberals, even they prayed on Monday night. Did you notice that? When Bill's safety, uh, DeMar Hamlin went down, uh, even they prayed. Listen, I'm glad that our Creator is the kind of God that is open still when people who have denied Him in desperation turn to Him. I'm thankful He's that kind of a God. But understand, those people, their entire life denies God. They profess that they know Him when things are desperate. You see, a defiled conscience no longer has a needle that points true north to the creator or key moral values. Over the years, I've sat in rooms with men and women who have committed adultery. I've literally had them look me in the face and say something like this, God brought that person in my life. And I will say something like this, no, He didn't. 
So how can someone say something stupid like that? I'll tell you, they have a defiled conscience. I've sat in rooms with addicts of all sorts. Pornography addicts. Alcohol addicts. Pot-smoking addicts. Addicts of drugs of all sorts. I've sat in rooms with them and have them look me in the face and with a straight face say something to me like, you know what, my thinking is clearer than... Uh, it is otherwise when I'm smoking pot. And I always say, no, it's not. So how can you come to that conclusion? Uh, their conscience is defiled. Men and women can look you in the face and tell you they're unaffected by this or that. So how? A defiled conscience. Listen, parents have a lot of noble tasks. Grandparents have a lot of noble tasks. The church has a lot of noble tasks. One of our tasks is to help children and grandchildren and any young person under our influence to have a healthy conscience that has been nurtured by the truth of God. You see, it is exposure to the truth of God's Word that strengthens, builds, enlightens, and produces a healthy conscience. By the way, I encourage and commend every parent here who brings your children to children's things. I know it's inconvenient sometimes. I commend grandparents here whose children won't bring their children to the things of God. I commend you on what you do to help shape their conscience the way the Creator intended it to be. Because it can become defiled and seared. See, all over this room are people who would testify and say, do you know what? I had a healthy conscience at this point, at some point in my life, and I defiled and seared it. Uh, some thing, some act of immorality that used to bother you, but doesn't bother you anymore. Some willful disobedience to God that used to bother you, that doesn't bother you anymore. You say, what is that? That's a seared and a defiled conscience. I've known people to sear and defile their conscience about coming to Christ. I have sat in a room with people, young adults, middle-aged adults and senior adults, who would tell me something like, you know, I used to be drawn to Christ. I used to uh, feel like I needed to be saved, but I don't have that anymore. But what a terrible place to be in life. Can I say to you this morning, if you have not yet come to Christ, uh, if you are drawn to Christ, yield to His Spirit and turn humbly and repentantly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take a chance. Today's the best day to humble yourself and repent and call upon Christ. Today, why God is speaking and calling you. Though people can run and even hide after a while from a defiled conscience, they cannot run and hide from a healthy one. By the way, if you're a parent here today, let me encourage you as you 
try to do what's right as you raise your children and you feel like sometimes you're not getting anywhere, understand if you have shaped and molded their conscience, you've done them a great service. Which gets us to our second thing. Turn back a few pages to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I said first, people try to run from their conscience. And some can even hide from their conscience if it's seared. Here's the second thing. People try to run from our Creator and His truth. But they cannot hide. Ever. People try to run from our Creator and His truth, but they cannot hide. Ever. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow afterwards. In other words, your sins in life very often will come to you in judgment during life. But if they don't come to you in judgment in life, they will follow you after. Verse 25, likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. In other words, some of the good things you do come back to you in life. Manifest before. It says, but they that are otherwise, good works that are not manifest in this life, they cannot be hid. <laughs> See, some people think because their immorality, drunkenness, and wickedness doesn't bother them anymore that everything's okay. Let me just very clearly say to you, this life is not all there is. There are some judgments that come in this life and others that will catch up in the next life. There are some good deeds that come back to us in this life, and those who do not come back to us in this life, they will come back to us in the next life. And the sooner you and I get in our mind that everything we see with our eyes is only uh, the the result of doing good or doing bad, the sooner we get uh, out of our mind that what we see now is all that's going to happen, the sooner we'll realize that, wow, you know what? I need to focus on Christ because some things come to us later. The same God from whose eyes a falling sparrow cannot be hidden never misses a thing that goes on with us or in this world. Do you ever think about this? This man who did his brother wrong and rebuked Moses, he probably went home that day and bragged to his wife and friends. Hey, I, I rebuked Moses the Egyptian today. He probably went home and bragged. He had no idea that now for... uh. 3,400 years, his name would be associated with someone who defied a deliverer God sent. See, he was only looking at it through today's eyes. Today's eyes aren't aren't enough. See, if you're living in a way you know to be wrong, be sure your sin will find you out. You're not getting away with anything. Your conscience may not bother you anymore. Your family and friends may have given up trying to get you to repent and do what's right. But God has your record and you will always answer either in this life or the next. Always. You may hide from the full judgment of God in life, but it'll catch up to you in the next life. I can't tell you over the years... I was a youth leader for 20 years. I I can't tell you how many teenagers I've known who pridefully rebelled against good parents, refused to make any effort in school, 
refused to live a moral and decent life. Oh, everything was fine for a while. Then their sins found them out. They found themselves with a broken body, a mind warped by drugs, a life broken by bad choices and bad relationships. They're reaping what they sowed, but they don't like what they're reaping. I can't tell you how many middle-aged adults I've known who lived their young adult years selfishly and immorally. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, I know Christ, but you would never be able to guess that by the way they live. Oh yeah, I love Jesus, but you would never be able to see that in any of the choices they make. And they think, well, hey, nothing's happening to me now. Ever know anybody who was 40 but looked 60? Ever know anybody who thought everything was great, but in the end, having uh, three or four uh, husbands and wives and partners and children by three or four different people, in the end, it didn't work out good? It, It seemed fine for a while. Listen, everything either comes in this life or the next. Good or bad. Now, you may rejoice watching the consequences of sin destroy people like that and their children, but i got to be honest with you, I don't. My heart breaks to watch marriages broken by sin and children broken by the sin of parents, grandparents. It may make you happy to have what they did finally come home to them. But, but I don't feel that way about it. Amen. See, today's the day to repent. Amen. Today's the day to turn from your sins. And I plead with you today not to wait till the consequences come upon you. They will come. You and I will reap everything we sow, whether in this life or the next. God doesn't miss a thing. We can run, but we cannot hide from God. You you may look around and and, and see people on television and uh, famous athletes and famous musicians and famous actors, and you say, wow, look at them. They've got all this money and all this beauty, and they're living this wicked lifestyle, and you and your heart feel like, wow, I'd like to have a piece of that. Listen, you may want a piece of what they've got now, but you won't want a piece of what they get when it comes home. And though people can hide from their conscience by defiling and searing it, no one can run and hide from God. He sees it all. Amen. Which gets us to our last thing. Please go next in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Over the years, as time has gone on, this has actually become one of my favorite Bible verses. And see, our last thing this morning is believers need to be patient. As we wait for the day, God exposes who and what is true. Believers need to be patient as we wait for the day when God exposes who and what is true. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. This is a great Bible verse. If you'll highlight or underline things in your Bible, and this is not highlighted or on it should be it's just a great truth. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. In other words, don't decide how everything's really going to turn out until Christ comes. Because when He comes, He will bring to light 
the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of heart of the hearts. Notice, and then, and you underline that word then, and then shall every man have praise of God. Most people today do not look around at how things are turning out and praise God. Most people today look around and they see how things are turning out and they say, where is God? How can that person be allowed to do that and not have God just instantly take their life? How can God allow that to happen to that good, faithful person and not have all their faith and all their sacrifice be manifest and blessed? How how can that happen? I'll tell you how. It's not over. When Christ comes and you and I see how He handled everything, then every one of us will praise God. Someone said if all of our difficulties were put out on a line and we knew what God knew, you'd take yours and I'd take mine. You know, I have no doubt there are people here today and because of your faith, your faith in Christ, your belief in the Bible, you're really just trying to do what's right. Nobody does right perfectly, but there are people that sincerely do what's right in God's sight. They confess their sins. They try to walk with God. And there's people over in this room, and I'm sure there are some of you who feel this morning, well, you know what? It's just not working out for me. It hasn't gotten me money. It hasn't gotten me promoted. It hasn't gotten me a husband. It hasn't gotten me a wife. It hasn't gotten me the job I want. Can I just say to you this morning, God knows. And when He's done, you will look up at your father as a believer and say, Father, I didn't understand. But you did everything well. Everything you let in my life, every time you didn't give me what I thought I deserved, every promotion I didn't get, everything, you know exactly what you are doing. And so I say to you this morning, trust God. He is going to make it all right. But this life is not the time for that. Some things are manifest in this life, but everything will be manifested tomorrow. Amen? If you quietly stand.